everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Beer For You. I'm your host, Avantika. Thank you so much for being here with us today. In today's episode, we have a guest who has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder type 1. She talks about her mental health healing um, with the help of her faith. And also being a part of the black community, she talks about how her race played a factor in her mental health journey as well. So it's a really interesting conversation between the intersection of being part of the black community as well as uh, faith and mental healing. I hope you guys enjoy it. And if you're watching to this on YouTube, let us know what resonates with you the most. And subscribe and you on the drill. And if you're watching to this on Spotify, do leave us a, star, uh, a rating if you like the episode. And yeah, let's get it started. You can reach out to us um, on Instagram and email. Everything will be linked in the description below. So thank you for being here and let's get this started. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Beautiful You. I'm your host, Aban. Today, we have a very special guest with us. She's Sarah Fox. She's a Christian woman who encourages others to stay pure in a world that says otherwise. She's an alumna of the King's College with a BA in politics, philosophy, and economics with a pre-law mind. Sarah currently works as a case manager and a transformational coach at St. Nick's Alliance. With this profession, she spends most of her time mentoring at-risk youth and preparing them for job opportunities. She's also the host of the Rough Edges podcast, where she shares educational tools about mental health, anecdotes about her own healing journey, and the intersection between faith and mental illness. Sarah also loves performing spoken word, writing for her blog, and trying out new exotic, new exotic things. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so stoked to have you here. How are you doing? Wow. Thanks for having me. I am doing great. <laughs> that is amazing. I'm so glad. Um, that we are finally getting to the episode and I'm so, so, so happy to have you here with us. So to start off the episode, I would like to know when were you diagnosed with bipolar disorder and uh, could you like run us, you know, through your journey and your initial reaction as to when you got the, when you newly got diagnosed? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with bipolar 1 disorder in January of 2021. So it was it was so interesting because the previous month in December, I had gotten into a serious manic episode and it was around like, you know, end of the year and I was excited for the new year and like all the bad had bad in store. I had recently graduated college that year. So I was just like excited about everything. And that kind of led to me speaking really fast me feeling like I was invincible on top of the world, like nothing could touch me. And my family was noticing like something was a little off. They were like, hey, uh, you're not really coherent. You're speaking really fast. We can't keep up with you. You're not really making sense, like what's going on. And so I don't really think anything of it because I was like, hey, it's the new year, new me, like everything's gonna be great. And it wasn't great spoiler alert um it was just like a whirlwind of like different things that I was experiencing like in addition to the euphoric side I also experienced psychosis where I was like hearing things I was hearing voices I was seeing things that weren't actually there and through that I also had like anxiety attacks 
I had a depressive episode where I was weeping for like, I'm talking like 30 minutes, almost to an hour on end. And it just all led up to me being hospitalized in January. And while I was in the hospital, I received the bipolar diagnosis. So that was, yeah, January 2021. Wow. So you experienced mania with uh, certain symptoms of psychosis as well as depression right after it. That's yeah. That sounds very intense um, to go through so many things at the same time. Uh, so when you got the diagnosis, when the doctor like let you know about it, how did you, you know, what was your initial reaction to the diagnosis? Oh, I remember that day as like clear as anything because I was waiting to hear like what was going on because the doctors had to meet. They had to like, you know, discuss what, you know, the diagnosis was going to be and so I was just waiting there in limbo for like a good week and a half in the hospital to know what my diagnosis was and the day that they finally decided to be like hey we're gonna give you some information a nurse came to me and she gave me like this thick packet and she was like this is information about your diagnosis if you have any questions please let us know So I went to my room and I saw across the top of the packet in big, bold letters, it said bipolar disorder. And I was like, oh, no, this is a mistake because there is no way that I have bipolar disorder. And I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Like people would describe other people as, oh, you're still bipolar or the weather is still bipolar. And I always saw that as like a negative connotation. So me, like seeing this diagnosis right in front of me like on paper it's just like oh my gosh not only did it feel real but it also felt very discouraging and I just remember crying like as soon as I read that because I was like I cannot believe that this is gonna be my reality going forward and I wrestled with that for a while because I was like I still, even to this day sometimes, I'm like, wow, I have bipolar disorder (laughs) and I just don't know like how to like fully, fully accept it. Like I've come a long way, I would say, but it's still kind of like a shock sometimes or it's like, wow, this is what I have to manage now. So yeah, that was like that day. And I was like, my initial reaction was like a little bit of discouragement and disbelief and anger. Wow. Um, that sounds that sounds like a lot to go through it at such a young age. It's getting you know the diagnosis right away, like right off the bat, and not knowing what it is because there's a lot of stigma around it. Like I, you know, whenever I ask someone, "Oh, do you know what bipolar is?" A lot of people have I've heard this way too many times where people are like, "Oh, something like split personality or something like." That. They have like a very bizarre uh, idea of what what actually bipolar is, and it's like. And you grow up with that thinking um, and you're not very well aware. So it's, uh, I, I can imagine if it's also like a little bit scary because you're like, okay, what is, what exactly is this? Because there are just too many questions and not so many answers. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I No, like I completely, like I, it res- really resonated with me when you mentioned how you were like, oh, bipolar, like I could, you know, you could not have that. That, that certainly does not sound like you because... I remember, like, when I got my diagnosis, I was like, no way. I couldn't, I could never have that. Like, no. <laughs> and that's not, <laughs> so, 
what happened to other people, not me. <laughs> it was just uh, there's a there's a lot of anger towards towards it as well. So I I see that you do a lot of um, advocacy for the intersection between your spirituality between your your faith as well as mental health healing. So I wanted to ask when exactly did um, you know you start to come in terms with the diagnosis and when did your like how did your faith help you with your mental health healing? That's a great question. And for me, growing up in like a Christian household and being a woman of faith, my faith played a huge role in my healing journey. And that's where a lot of like my hope and determination came from to actually stick with my management, like um, my mental health management styles, because I was at a really, really low place after I got my diagnosis. And I was just like wrestling with a lot of things, like namely, like, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? You know, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to church. I'm reading the Bible. Like I'm doing all of the things that I am expected to do. And I'm still faced with this thing that I didn't even ask for, you know? And so that was a long journey of like really wrestling and just being like, angry at God, but also confused as to, okay, how am I going to manage my mental health condition while still upholding my faith? And so the way that I did that was through a lot of prayer and my community. I have to give a huge shout out to my church community and also mentors that I had along the way that have really like tried to just let me know that it's okay to feel these things, that it's normal to question God. It's normal to ask questions. And and they didn't judge me. And they let me know that, hey, you're dealing with these things, but God sees you and he knows what you're going through. And for me, that kind of gave me the comfort that I needed to know that my hope is found in Jesus. And I know that he is going to be with me through this entire ordeal. And I honestly, it's a daily process because I still find myself sometimes, you know, just being like, God, I I have like a serious, like, you know, irritable spout or my mood just went from zero to a hundred. Like what is going on? Like, you know, I still question it sometimes, but I will say that now I have a better understanding or more of an awareness of how God has shown up in my life through people, through my mental health support team, through like doing the podcast even. Like that was a huge thing that got me to connect with the community at large and really see that I'm not alone in this journey. And I have other people and even talking to people like you has like really helped me to see that, hey, getting through this is possible and you can have the hope to make it through as well. That is so sweet. So <laughs> it it started off with anger towards your faith because why is this happening to me? You know, I'm doing everything right. So um, these are the things I didn't even ask for because it is something which is difficult. And once you know that it is something uh, that does not have a cure yet and will be with you for like a longer time, more anger um, like gets collected over time. So how did that whole process, like could you run us through the process of how it went from anger to acceptance because I thought that you also said that it's also like a daily struggle even today. So how did it go from anger towards your faith to uh, 
accepting it and you know believing that um like your faith will be there with you with with every uh, part of the journey yeah so part of that journey was really just like it was like a twofold thing where it was like i had to learn more about bipolar disorder and what that entails and also learn that me having a mental health condition is not an indicator of how much faith i have right because a lot of the times in the church it's like mental health is like heavily stigmatized and it is something that is like oh if you're dealing with this you have no faith or you doubted god or you did something wrong and that's why you have this like i had to do some serious like independent soul searching for myself which was like getting into the theology getting into reading my word, getting into praying, getting into like involving myself in the wider church community and also the mental health community as well. Because when I first got diagnosed, I was like, okay, how do I manage this? Like, what do I need to learn? Like, what are the things that I need to know so that I can be able to live well with this? And for me, that was like going to therapy also. And I have a Christian therapist who also specializes in marrying the theology with the psychology. And that also gave me like a wider perspective on the fact that me having this bipolar disorder is not an indicator of my character. And it doesn't mean that I am not in the hands of God. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love me anymore. It just means that we live in a broken world where we are dealing with these things also on a physical level as well and me also learning how to separate the physical from the spiritual because not all the time they're synonymous like yeah we are physical and spiritual beings um according to like you know the christian theology but that doesn't mean that all of our physical problems are directly linked to all of our spiritual problems right um, so I just had to learn like how to actually separate the two and also see ways in which my faith could actually help me with my healing process. So I usually tell people it for me, it's Jesus and therapy. Like those two are not like mutually exclusive. It's like I could go to church and still have a meeting with my psychiatrist. I could read my Bible and still take medicine. Like, you know, it's like, it's not one or the other. It's both in conjunction. So, yeah, it was like a huge journey to like actually get into all that research and know that, okay, I need to learn and I can manage this effectively. That is beautiful. I love how the whole uh, mentality shift from it's, it, it doesn't have to be just either or, or it's an and. You know, I absolutely love that uh, idea that it's, Oh, I could see this like psychiatrist and go to the church. Like that's beautiful. That's profound because the conversations that I would have so far when it comes to faith, people would just preach their faith. That's it, and they wouldn't believe in medicine or just medicine in general. But then, if there are other people who uh, have been benefited from the medication treatment and psychotherapy and all that, they wouldn't be believing in faith as much and it would be just leaning towards um, one part of it, like just the medicine. So it's really wonderful to talk to someone who has has been benefited from both of it, and it's an and, not either or. That's beautiful. 
So I would love to know more about your journey, about how you came on um, with your podcast and why did you name it Rough Edges Podcast? Oh, yes. I love this question <laughs> because I, I I will tell you, I did not want to do podcasting initially. I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I did want to get into a space where I could share my story with others. Because when I was first researching, I didn't really find a lot of people who looked like me, a black woman, and it was also a woman of faith talking about their mental health journeys. Like, I didn't really find much of that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something. I'm going to go out there and share my story, whatever. But I didn't know how to do that. And I was also kind of nervous because I was like, ooh, I don't want to put all my business out there. But (laughs) it's Like, I just wanted to, like, have a platform. So at first, it was a website. I was going to do, like, okay, let me do a mental health website, kind of like a blog, and put all my writings out there because I love writing. So I was like, oh, I could just do a website. But then my friends, like, me, like, talking about the process, they're like, "Uh uh-uh, girl. Like, you have a story to tell. You need to do a podcast. I was like, not a podcast. But (laughs) I'm like, I don't like my voice on recording. First of all, and second of all, what would I even name it? Like, I didn't I, I didn't have any of that. And then it's just like one day I was sitting and I love writing poetry as well. As you mentioned in my bio, I love to spoke a word. And I was just inspired to write a poem about like my journey. And the title of that poem was actually Rough Edges. And so while I was writing the poem, I was thinking of, you know, those Japanese like um like those, like the art that they have where they're like mended together with like gold and it creates this beautiful art piece. And I was thinking about that the whole time that I was writing the poem. And I was like, how our journeys are, even though they are rough and even though we are rough around the edges, they could come together to make such a beautiful work of art. And I was just writing that poem, didn't really think anything of it. And then I was like, still thinking about the podcast idea. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to call it Rough Edges, you know? And that's how it, that's how it really like started. And I didn't expect it to actually go that far and be like, oh, people, I was just like, let me record this for myself. And if people listen to it, great. But now I'm over here talking to like a mental health advocate from India. And I'm like, how did we get here? <laughs> I love that story so much. Oh my God, because it's not like, oh, I've always wanted to do it. And then it's, that is so wonderful. I love that story and I love meaning behind it up by this podcast. That is so cool. So, out of every, wait, how long has it been that you've been uh, podcasting? I've been doing this for almost two years now. Two years. What is like, after, out of all the conversations, because I see that you have a lot of guests on your podcast as well. So, out of all the episodes that you've had, what is like one surprising thing that stood out to you um, regarding people living with bipolar disorder? That's a good question. So the most surprising thing for me was just the fact that I wasn't alone. And the fact that when people were sharing their stories, I'm like, oh my God, like I think there's something similar. And it's just so amazing to see the wonderful community that came out of it as well. And I'm just so grateful to be able to make those connections because when I first started, like when I first got diagnosed, I was like, okay, like I feel so alone. Like, where is everybody? 
And then as I started podcasting, like more and more people be like, hey, I really resonate with what you said. Like, you know, let's connect. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so, yeah. It is so cool that it's like when you're creating something and you're sharing your sharing your journey, it resonates with someone else and, you know, they make, they feel less alone and then they let you know about it and then you feel less alone. So it's like you're working yeah. both ways. It's a, it's a two-part relationship, you know, and you form a community like that and then it's just, it's beautiful and it's very empowering and I love that. Um, thank you for, you know, starting your podcast and doing everything that you do. I checked out your uh, video about, I think it was Letter to Bipolar and I loved it. The recording, the the message behind it, everything. You look beautiful. It was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so ever since the diagnosis, how did your daily routine change? And how aware were you of the changes that were taking? Mm, yeah, that's also a good question. So one thing that I had to prioritize above everything was my sleep. And I'm not going to lie to you, like, I'm still, like, a night owl at heart, so. I am a night owl. Oh, my God. Something that I struggle with so much. And it's, thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, because um, my psychiatrist will be like, oh, honey, you need to sleep. And I'm like, honey, I'm up at night. <laughs> it's like you know, like, the right thing to do. But it's like, you don't want to sleep. It's fun staying up at night, like, you know. It's fun. Yeah. And, like, you get work done. Well, yes, continue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. And so I I was like, you know, having a little trouble managing sleep in the beginning. But I must say that I noticed a huge change in like how my mood was affected when I did get a good night's sleep. Because some nights I would go to bed at like 10, 1030. And some night I would go to bed at like 1 a.m. I know that's a huge like <laughs> difference. But it's like when I went to bed at 1030, I saw like me like being more refreshed in the morning, me being more neutral in my mood. Whereas if I went to bed at 1, 2 a.m. and woke up the next morning, it's like I was a little more irritable. I was like, you know, more prone to like, you know, the depressive side of things. So I would say sleep was like a huge factor in that and also trying to minimize stress. I, I do work in a high stress job as a case manager. So one thing that I try to do outside of my job is like do things to de-stress and decompress. Sometimes even before I go into work, I like listen to like some motivational music, calming music before I go to work and try to just ease my mind before I take on the stuff for the day. So yeah, minimizing stress and sleep and like some of the changes that I've seen. Minimizing stress and prioritizing sleep. Okay. Yeah. It works. I think I gotta try it. Feels <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know, dude. It's with everything. Stress is like a constant and I do everything else but prioritizing sleep. Like you, you mentioned your uh, sleeping times are like ten or one during exam period because I also go to college at the moment. Uh during exam period my time that like sleeping time is like one or five. So gotta prioritize that. Yeah. I love that. So how does um uh, how did you know your family, the friends around you react to the diagnosis and you know, um what were their uh, reactions to it? 
Yeah. So, um, I would start off with like my inner circle, which would be like mom, sister, like people that are like closest to me that have witnessed the manic episode for them. They just wanted to know like if I was okay, because they were just like terrified, shocked. My younger sister, she was like traumatized by the whole ordeal. And she just wanted to know like, Hey, is Sarah going to be okay? And with that, they just got on it. They were like, let's do some research. Let's get some books. Like, we need to know what's going on with you, you know? So that was like my inner circle. They really like tried to rally around me. Um, Other friends that I have told about it were a little bit shocked. And some of those relationships have kind of fizzled out after that. So I've had a few relationships kind of end after I kind of shared that information, which was like pretty heartbreaking. But at the same time, I kind of knew right then and there that not everybody was ready to hear this and it was going to be like a heavy weight. So I just decided, hey, I'm going to share my story and it's up to you whether or not you want to be able to, you know, take part in that, like, you know, realistically speaking. And then there were some other friends of mine that just were super super supportive like they were just like you know asking me like hey how's everything going you doing good like they would check in they'd be like oh have you slept how's your sleeping like they would just be like all over it (laughs) so I appreciate all of my friends and then my mentors were also very receptive of it they were like you know giving me feedback or they would just be open into saying like hey Sarah you're talking a little bit too fast. Is everything going okay? How's your stress level? Is everything fine? So yeah, I've gotten like support, but also some people who have walked away. And that's just, you know, reality. I like that you touched both, both sides of it. The ones who are super support- supportive and sometimes you just like really walk away. You had mentioned earlier that one of the reasons why you uh, started the podcast was because you, you don't have anyone from the black community who preaches, like who talks about faith and mental health healing as well. So I wanted to ask, how did race play a role in uh, your treatment plan or you just uh, with your mental health? Yeah, so race played a huge role, um, especially in the way that I viewed mental health, because in the black community, especially as black women, we are like conditioned to be the strong black women or the women that hold it all together. And with that added pressure of like trying to be perfect and also trying to be strong for everybody and help everybody else out, it's like, we don't have time for mental health. Like we don't have time for the self-care and the treatment. Like that was something that was pretty foreign to us as black women. So it's like having that, I was pretty like resistant in the beginning so like medication because I'm like, oh no, I'm strong. I can handle it. I don't need all of that. And then God had to humble me and say, no, honey, you do need that because you went through something very significant and traumatic, you know, and you need the mood stabilizers to kind of help you out with, you know, managing your bipolar disorder. And another aspect of the racial element is just the stigma surrounding actually seeking therapy. Because I had a therapist before I even got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And that was even like a hard thing for me to do 
because I was dealing with a lot of stressful situations before. And I was like, I do need a therapist, but I also don't want to air out my family's dirty laundry. I also don't want to be seen as weak. I also don't want to be seen as, oh, you can tough it out or you can pray enough. So why do you need a therapist? Like that was like my whole mindset. So my attitude towards therapy and mental health was just very averse because I was thinking to myself, I am a strong black woman and you can't tell me that I need antidepressants because I do not, you know? So that was like my mentality. And I have to say that uh, mental health issues are very stigmatized in the black community. And that's a whole nother episode on its own. But I will say that we need to get used to, you know, the idea that going to therapy and taking medication does not mean that you are a weak person. It just means that you need these additional things to help you. I mean, when it comes to like diabetes or high blood pressure, we always say, hey, yeah, take your medication for that. Go to the doctor. So why is it different with a mental health issue? So we kind of need to, as a community, just love each other and be more vulnerable with each other and be like, hey, I can have weak moments and still be strong and get through that, you know? I love your message. And throughout it all, I can sense a lot of, again, and, you know, like, the it, it's all a very gray area and you could have this and be that. Um, I really resonate with that and I really appreciate you sharing that message with us. We, like, growing up, I never really thought how, because I grew up in an Indian society, so that's all I knew. But thinking about, like, other factors, I understand that Black community faces a whole lot of struggles of their own. But I didn't particularly think so much about how it affected the mental health segment as well. Like, how that, you know, affected your, you in the mental health healing um, journey as well. So, um, that is something that gave me something to think about. So, thank you for sharing with us. Um, yeah. that, that brings me to, like, another question. What is something you wish people asked you more? I don't know. That is excellent. That's an excellent question. Um, I just wish people would ask me, like, are you doing okay? Because I feel like people, yes, they ask me that. But I, I feel like that's a very weighted question. Because it's like, you see me as like, okay, this podcaster... Or for those of you who are listening, you're like, wow, she's like overcome a lot of things. Like, wow, amazing. But I have my moment, you know, and I'm also human. So it's like, you know, when, when people say, hey, how are you? I want you to ask me that, but also me. And, you know, just take the time out to hear like my good side and my bad side. I'm sure you met like, when do you want to ask about podcasting? But I'm just like, let me sit in this moment of like, how are you doing? You know? But like, no, 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 that, it hit me hard. <laughs> it hit me so hard when you said that. <laughs> like, I got chills. I was like, yeah, it's, don't cry, don't cry on the podcast. <laughs> People can see it now, it's a video podcast. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really doing it. Uh, no, like I'm telling you how have you been doing? Because I know you have a lot on your plate. And uh, we could talk about it off the record as well. But how have you been? So I honestly, I have been trying to manage a lot. 
and I've been pretty stressed. I'm not going to lie because it's a lot to juggle with going to work and then I'm also in school and I'm also do the so it has been a lot but while I'm stressed I am also just happy to be in this space talking to you and it's just reminding me of why I need to do this and why I want to do this you know that's beautiful thank you for sharing it with us so what would you say are some of your non-negotiables for managing bipolar today yes so uh a few of them would be one minimizing stress as i mentioned before um just like taking out anything that is like unnecessary stress so like for example uh with some relationship stuff like the toxic relationships i'm cutting that all off because i'm like i don't need you also stressing me out you know and then uh, just trying to manage my time a little bit better i'm still working on that department because I wear many hats, as you could imagine. So just trying to like manage my calendar and like be more gracious with myself if I have to reschedule something or if I double book, like try to give myself a little bit of grace because we're still working on it. But yeah, just trying to like minimize stress as much as I can. Another thing that is a non-negotiable for me is just like negative self-talk, like just eliminating that completely. And that's been something that I've been trying so hard to work on because the way that you talk to yourself is going to dictate how you present yourself to others and also how you manage your mental health um, condition. Because the way that you speak to yourself, if you keep saying, oh, I'm like super moody, oh, I'm stupid, like I can't manage this, I can't do this right, then that's what you're going to believe and that's going to be like a self fulfilling prophecy you know and so i one thing that is non-negotiable for me is talking negatively to myself and about myself like i'm trying to like stay away from all that negative self-thought because i want to be able to show myself some compassion especially when going through these things so just to do a little recap (laughs) uh minimizing stress and no negative self-thought for sure that is amazing could you give us an example of um, how you changed some of your negative self-talk? Yeah. So what I what I used to do, and it's like every time I made a mistake, I would berate myself and, you know, just say a whole bunch of horrible things about myself. Now I'm trying to like, if something happens or I make a mistake, I try to like step back and be like, okay, breathe. It's not the end of the world. You made a mistake. You're a human being. And I try to just like envision like me talking to like somebody I really love and care about. So let's say, for example, my sister, if she messed up and she made a mistake, I wouldn't automatically be like, why are you so dumb? Like, why would you ever do that? Like, that was the stupidest thing you could have done. I wouldn't do that. I'll be like, hey, bro, it's okay. Like, we all made mistakes. It's fine. It's nothing in the world. I love you. You're great. You're amazing. I would try to talk to myself in the way that I would talk to my sister or anyone that I really love and care about. So framing it that way has helped a lot. And I'm not going to lie, I'm still working on it, but I am making some huge improvements. So, yeah. (laughs) I love that. That is so profound and that is so beautiful. 
one of the things like showing compassion and talking to yourself like you're because in the end you have to take care of yourself so you need to treat yourself like someone that you care about and someone that you love you know that is the only yeah. I show grace otherwise you would just end up being so frustrated with yourself it's like that honestly reminds me of this one thing um if i were to let's say wake up at like seven in the morning and if i end up waking up at nine i have everything planned from seven to nine right so if you're like uh, waking up late you uh mess out on certain things so you're behind the schedule years ago my self-talk would be oh my god you're so dumb and you can't even like wake up on time and stuff like i mean Uh, agreed that the last few days I've been very busy and I slept barely for like four hours but then I would still have this conversation in my head that oh you're so dumb and like why would you do that uh you know you knew that we had things to uh do why did you not like wake up on with the um, alarm and everything but now it's like okay if I slept in for two more hours than I had initially planned to it's because my body needed it so why did my body need the rest you know so it's like yeah. also questioning about why something happens from berating yourself that is that is how you show compassion and grace to yourself. So I absolutely love that and resonate with that so much. Um, what is something you wish everyone knew about bipolar disorder? All right, that's a great question. And if I could, there are two things, just two things that I want people to know. One, mania is not always a euphoric experience. It can be very severe. Like, and in my experience, I I was like very aggressive, very volatile, very vulgar, and it was traumatizing not only to myself, but also to my family members who witnessed that firsthand. And a lot of the times it's like, you know, especially people's like conception about bipolar disorder, especially with mania, it's like, oh, you're very bubbly, you're very energetic, you're very creative, productive, and you know, they're trying to spin it as like, oh, it's like euphoria, like you're in a great state. And it's it starts out that way, at least in my experience. But it kind of escalated. If it's not treated, it can escalate to something more severe where you can have those bouts of aggression. You can be very hostile. You can be very verbally and even physically abusive. So I just want to take that like misconception and kind of highlight the reasons why bipolar needs to be treated in that way. So that would be like the first thing. And the second thing I wish people knew is that sleep has a huge role in like managing bipolar. Like I can't stress this enough. Like managing your sleep is like half the battle of managing bipolar disorder. And yes, even though I know that it is, it is hard, very hard, <laughs> but it isn't doable like at least like the way that I try to do it is like okay what what time did I go to bed the previous night if I went to bed at 11 I'm like okay let me try to go to bed at 10 30 and get it down to like 30 minutes at a time instead of like jumping from well I went to bed at 12 let me go to bed at 9 like that's not realistic and so I'm trying like really hard to like set it to increments of time where I'm like okay I went to bed at 12 last night let me try 11.30 this night and see how it goes, you know? And so that's my method. But managing sleep is crucial to managing bipolar disorder. I love that. Something I'll be working on as well. So sleep and mania is not always euphoric. Because I did come across a lot of instances where um, people do see that, oh, so it's just like happy all the time. That must be great. I was like, 
no it's not it's yeah, there's so much anxiety as well involved in it and there's so much more to it than just euphoria so i'm really glad that you brought it out and put it out there is there anything that um i missed out on that you wanted me to ask or something that you would want to like expand on maybe um nah you did a really good job um i would just say like if i may like just like a word of encouragement for people who are like you know in the early stages or people who are like trying to manage bipolar disorder in general i would just like to say first off your diagnosis is not indicative of your character you are not a bad person because you have bipolar disorder it is a common thing and apparently a lot of people struggle with this as well so you are not alone and i also want to encourage you that you have hope and that you can make it through this i know it seems dark i know it can seem like very frustrating and daunting but i just want to let you know that you are a strong individual and you can make it through this and so i'm rooting for you on the other side of this podcast <laughs> Thank you for uh, sharing that. That is really informative. And yeah, where can people find you? Yes. Yeah, so I am on Instagram at rough.edges.podcast. And I also have a website, roughedgespodcast.com. You can find me on either of those platforms. All right. Perfect. I'll be linking everything down in the description. So um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. And I hope that. For your further journey and i can't wait to work more with you thank you <laughs> thank you everyone for listening to the episode i hope you found um, something that resonated with you if you did let us know in the comments down below if you're watching this on youtube and if you're watching this or listening to this on spotify then do leave us a five-star review if you like it and you can reach out to us on instagram or email you can reach out to sarah as well and everything to our social media will be linked in the description down below as well so thank you for being here with us today and i'll see you guys in the next episode i love you bye